Nerdette is supported by the Sympathizer podcast from HBO. Join host Philip Nguyen in conversation with the cast, crew, and author Viet Thanh Nguyen as they discuss the making of this historic HBO original limited series. Stream new episodes of HBO's The Sympathizer Sundays exclusively on Max. And listen to The Sympathizer podcast wherever you listen to podcasts. Think on your feet for our Fast and Curious 5K, a -a one-of-a-kind race hosted by WBEZ and the Chicago Sun-Times on Saturday, July 27th at Humboldt Park. More info and early bird registration at wbez.org slash events. From WBEZ Chicago, this is Nerdette. I'm Greta Johnson. We did it. We made it to Friday. Coming up, Anna Sale, the host of Death, Sex, and Money, tells us about her new book. It's called Let's Talk About Hard Things. I come to this journalism about hard things with with the real belief that, like, this stuff is all happening in our lives. So it's not a choice of whether we have the hard thing or not. It's whether we acknowledge it. Plus, a chemistry nerd shares her love of science with us. I just wanted to show that science, and especially chemistry, is everywhere. But first, it is time to chat about the week that was. With us today, we have Amy Ratcliffe. She's the author of A Kid's Guide to Fandom, which came out last week. She is also the managing editor for Nerdist. Amy, hey! Hi, Greta. Thank you for having me. Glad to have you. Also with us is Jasmine Warga. She wrote Other Words for Home, a John Newberry honor book. Her newest book is called The Shape of Thunder, and it just came out on Tuesday. Jasmine, welcome. Hi, Greta. I'm excited to be here. Thanks for being with us. Okay, so I don't know. I think it's fair to say this has been a relatively quiet week in the U.S. considering. A horse was caught doping. People in the Southeast are panic buying gasoline, and Broadway has a reopening plan. Ellen is ending her show after 19 years, and Ben Affleck and Jennifer Lopez are back together after 17 years. The CDC says fully vaccinated people do not have to wear masks in some inside settings, but we are not going to talk about any of those things. We're going to start this week with Gwyneth Paltrow. The former actress and founder of Goop recently described how she's on a bit of a cleanse now because... Basically, during quarantine, I was drinking seven nights a week and making pasta and eating bread. Like, I went totally off the rails. Totally off the rails. I just think that's such an amazing phrase when it comes to drinking and eating bread, which I feel like most of us did a lot of during this time. Um, It doesn't really sound off the rails at all to me. It sounds entirely reasonable. I like to have a cookie seven days a week. Um, I'm curious for both of you, like what your quote unquote off the rails moment was that is actually entirely reasonable given the circumstances of the last more than a year now. Jasmine, let's start with you. Um, so I don't know if this is uh, totally reasonable, though. I do have to say that bread and pasta were a very played a very heavy role in my life before mm-hmm. the pandemic and also <laughs> still do. Um, <laughs> but uh, for me, it's been wearing slippers and slipper like footwear in public. I, uh, <laughs> you know, was huddled at home so long. And then once the my kids preschool reopened, I find myself in the drop off line um, in slippers. I find myself at the park in slippers. I feel like I'm here for comfort footwear uh, all the time. Well, good. I respect this, Jess. <laughs> yes, thank you. I appreciate that support. <laughs> so Amy, do you have an off the rails moment you're willing to share with us? You know, off the rails, like it's very hard to think about like scale because obviously pandemic enveloped a lot of loss and hardship. So keeping that perspective in mind, still like my off the rails was getting very into 
baking, like where I was making dozens and dozens of cookies. And I live in a two person household with cats and the cats can't eat the cookies. So it was, I kind of built a network of friends. I would text and be like, Hey, can I leave a plate of a dozen cookies on your doorstep? Is that okay? But it was like a, I was fixated on baking cookies. I mean, cookies are the best. What was there like a specific cookie that you gravitated towards or was it about making as many different kinds as possible? I definitely tried to make different kinds and experiment, but my favorite that I made and went back to was a pistachio chocolate chip cookie. That was just heavenly. Yeah. Send that recipe over, will you? You got it. (laughs) I think the most, one of the most hilarious things about what Gwyneth says is like, so she said this on a podcast and if you listen a little longer, she, she said, says that the thing that she was the alcohol she was drinking was a quinoa whiskey which like of course (laughs) all the things that's what it was it just it just felt very on brand it was pretty perfect it didn't know you could make whiskey from i mean sure it's a grain (laughs) i I guess so earlier this week nbc announced that it's not going to air the golden globes in 2022 which I keep having to remind myself is not like the distant future. It's actually only seven months away. What is time? Um, Amy, you've been following this, right? Can you kind of like set this up, explain why it's such a big deal? Yeah. So the short version is the Hollywood Foreign Press Association that puts on Golden Globes. They have 90 members. And in February of this year, the Los Angeles Times did a kind of report on that organization. And though it's been public knowledge about the members for a while, like the LA Times talked about how there are no Black members. It is a very, (laughs) the opposite of diverse group who's Mm -hmm. putting on these awards. And, you know, it's a huge part of the entertainment industry that, that awards I mean, obviously you have the Oscars, but the Gold Globes are a big deal. Well, and there was that other crazy story about how like the Emily in Paris people flew over a bunch of voters and like put them up in really fancy hotels in Paris, which is like, well, of course, like, so not only is it not at all diverse, but it's also like pretty obviously corrupt. Yes, because look, I did I watch all of Emily in Paris like in a day? Yes. Was it great television? Maybe not award television. (laughs) One person's opinion. So I think it's a big statement that NBC's like, hey, like if this is going to make like it's like a catalyst that could make them get their act together. (laughs) Yeah, that is really interesting. Jasmine, did you watch Emily in Paris? Let's start there. Yeah, I did watch Emily in Paris also in about one day. That may have also been a off the rails pandemic moment where I just told my family, I was like, I'm taking a break from my membership in this household and I'm curling up with my laptop and watching the show. Um, and so it, I really agree with everything Amy's saying. Like, I think obviously the organization should be held to account and we should push and want, you know, more diversity and especially in our media here, but I'm always feel a little bit itchy about American media conglomerates um, getting to position themselves uh, in any part of like moral virtue. I think mm-hmm. that our own entertainment industry has been so slow um, on diversity and representation. And I'm glad this is happening, but I also can't look at it without the tiniest bit of suspicion of it makes commercial sense for them perhaps right. now to yeah. take this stance. Yeah. And so while I'm happy with the decision, I don't exactly applaud NBC as a, like a beacon of um, equity and progressiveness in uh, this choice. Though I do think, you know, it will hopefully make a difference and 
uh, continue to set us on a better path. But I guess that's kind of where I think I always worry about American virtues signaling to the rest of the world when we have a lot of work to do here at home in our own organizations. Yeah, I think that's a really good point. Because essentially what you're saying, and I don't think you're wrong, really, is like they did the math and decided like this would be the most profitable thing to do. It's just like nice that it's also probably the better the good thing to do too, right? Yeah, exactly. So it's like, I am for the decision, but I also don't think this was like a really difficult, brave decision on NBC's part. Yeah, I totally agree. That's a really good point. So another thing that happened this week, speaking of American virtues, uh, more than 40 attorneys general asked Facebook founder Mark Zuckerberg to abandon his plans to make an Instagram for kids. Right now you have to be 13 to sign up for either Instagram or Facebook. The attorneys general cited both safety and privacy concerns about kids using a social platform. Um, Jasmine, you've mentioned you have a couple of younger kids. I'm curious what you think about this. Like, would Instagram for kids be a nice way for young people to connect and find each other? Or is it like super tricky and potentially dangerous? Yeah, you know, as someone like I'm a parent, I also I write for young people. I care yeah. a lot about young people. And I I just I guess I'm going to come at this from a personal stance of social media makes my brain oftentimes feel messy. I think Mm -hmm. that there's lots of things about social media that are thorny for mental health. And our young people right now are having so many mental health struggles um, compounded by the pandemic. And so I would worry about this. I'm happy with the decision because I'm not really sure how you would navigate that space. I also know it would have so much appeal. Like my five-year-old daughter would love it. She would be addicted to it. She loves taking photos. She loves the idea of sharing anything. Like I could see how quickly she would become into it. And I also, my heart would break about the idea of like filters for a five-year-old kid or something where you're altering um, your appearance or just any of those kind of social media flexes that are hard on adults. I often feel like an inadequate human being um, on all fronts because of social media. And I know it's not the necessarily the intention of the people posting those things, but that is kind of the, what it has become. And I think that we have to be really careful about starting kids so young, but on the other hand, not being naive that, you know, when I'm dealing with, when I talk with readers, most of my readers are middle graders and they you know, are already dipping their toes uh, in the social media waters. So I think this is something we're going to have to confront as a society, how we're going to deal with it, whether or not there's a platform specifically aimed uh, at kids. Yeah, it seems to me in some ways that we're just sort of like pretending to put off and and something that's inevitable, you know. Amy, I'm curious what you think. I mean, you just wrote a book about fandom for kids. I feel like, you know, fandom at its best can be a really fun thing to celebrate on the Internet. It can. And certainly when I first joined Twitter, like in 2009, like I'm still friends with a lot of the people I met because we connected over fandom and we met in person at conventions. And in writing that book, it was a lot of like, okay, like, you know, go like there are great forums, for example, that support cosplay with lots of reference pictures and how to's. But I'm not going to tell a 10 year old kid to be like, yeah, go to the Internet, have a great time. It's all going to be fine. Right, right. And you know, to Jasmine's point, like, I think there can be a lot of harmful just side effects that come from using social media on, uh, you know, even though we use it as adults and we kind of are aware of that and at some, and to some level can kind of put armor around ourselves. Well, and our brains at least are like fully formed, right? Yeah. We can wrap our heads around it, but I just, I can't get behind 
signing your six-year-old or whatever it is up for an Instagram-esque thing, especially because Facebook hasn't proven themselves to be amazing at protecting our data or each other or (laughs) any of those things. Yeah. Yeah. That's a really good point. Yeah. It'll be interesting. I don't know. I guess I could see that like as much as we can just focus on stuff in real life, especially for younger people, I think that just makes a lot of sense, you know? They're going to get there one day. So I feel like, enjoy the world, kiddos. (laughs) Let's just go outside and look at some nice flowers. (laughs) They're beautiful. They smell nice. It's great. Yeah. So speaking of smelling nice, wow, that's the perfect transition, Amy. Thank you. (laughs) Um, I (laughs) saw this story last week. From in the New York Times about shower habits during the pandemic, they ran a story that cited a study that said 17% of people in Britain have stopped showering on a daily basis. I thought that was really interesting. I think I'm actually showering more to preserve some sense of normalcy and like, look, I'm a functional human. I'm clean. Um, but I'm curious about you too. Jasmine, do you think you're showering less than you were before? Um, I'm really embarrassed to admit this, but I've always been a pro, like not daily shower person. I, uh, am going to say, uh, back in the day when you were able to go and have your hair cut in a professional setting, uh, the stylist would always tell me that it would be better for my hair not to wash it daily. So that was always my excuse. Um, but I'm a huge bath person and I, and like you, I have leaned into that aspect Mm. of like self-care in the pandemic of just like liking this feeling of relaxing and so I I feel like I'm more of like a bath person though to like read a book and relax than I'm doing it for like cleanliness but maybe that's a side benefit but I've definitely like when I saw that I was like am I supposed to be horrified that 17% don't shower daily like I wasn't doing that before the pandemic so maybe I'm just like um a less clean human being but uh No, I think it's really good to not shower every day, actually. I definitely, for the record, I don't wash my hair every day. (laughs) But I do, I mean, especially, I think for me, like, I've been trying to exercise more regularly as part of, like, a mental health stratagem. And so then, like, showering is an important piece of that, too. But I will for sure agree with you that, like, my bath use has risen exponentially during the pandemic. Like, a lot of baths over here. What about you, Amy? I shower daily. And I pretty much have consistently, and I've been trying to, as also part of a routine, like, and to get myself, like, in a better mental health space, like, do some workouts and take walks, and, like, I sweat easily, so showers kind of Mm -hmm. have to happen, but I also, I put off washing my hair for as long as possible, (laughs) and it's not even, like, I know it's healthy for your hair, not so, but it's just laziness. I don't like washing it. I don't blow dry it so it air dries and it drips on everything. And I just, I am a dry shampoo, dry yes. shampoo advocate. Here with you on that. <laughs> Good. So I love that the moral is like showering meh, pretty much. Like do it if you feel like you need to, but otherwise, I don't, I mean, the other thing is like, even if you smell bad, at least for me, like I live alone. Nobody's going to tell me these days, you know? I'm waiting for my cats to like turn away and be like, <laughs> Oh, no, I'm not going to sit in your lap today. (laughs) Jasmine, Amy, thank you both so much for coming on. I hope you have great weekends. Thank you for having us. This was really fun to just like chat and hang out. Yeah, thank you. It was so much fun. (laughs) 
Our next guest is Anna Sale, the host of the WNYC podcast, Death, Sex, and Money. She has a book out. It is called Let's Talk About Hard Things. Anna, hello. Hello. Is this where we talk about hard things? Are we going to do it? We're going to do it. Get ready. (laughs) So the thesis statement of this book essentially is that by talking about hard things, in a lot of ways, we're actually making them less hard. Can you explain what you mean by that? Yeah. I mean... It's sort of like I come to this journalism about hard things with with the real belief that like this stuff is all happening in our lives. So it's not a choice of whether we, um, you know, have the hard thing or not. It's whether we acknowledge it, whether we acknowledge it publicly with our journalism or whether we acknowledge it with words in our personal lives. And I really believe that, uh, you know, there's a lot in life that you cannot fix with words. You cannot bring someone back who, you, who, who you've lost, who you are grieving. You cannot flatten differences when it comes to either how much money you have compared to a friend or how you move through the world based on your identity versus someone who's quite different than you. You can't change that. But uh, when you admit that that stuff is happening, when you name it, when you create community around it, it's not all it's not fixed, but you're not going through it alone. And so that makes them less hard. You're building community, you're building reinforcements, you're destigmatizing a lot that can be hard and isolating. And I think that's a meaningful. And I think I don't know, it reminds me of I'm trying to remember which Pema Children book it was in that I read recently, but it's also mm. like That's actually also how you fully live your life, you know, like you can't actually fully appreciate the good stuff unless you're also looking and kind of like diving into the hard stuff. Yeah, yeah. And I think that that's what I heard from the book is a combination of both memoir of me going through stuff and fumbling for words and finding my way through and also talking to other people. And and I heard from talking to them, like, you know, when you do sort of push yourself to name that uncomfortable thing or ask the person in your life that question, you know, really, like, it's not just hard and uncomfortable. It also can be really beautiful. Like, I I had a conversation with a dear friend of mine who's in her late 80s about aging and, and, you know, decline, physical decline that comes with aging and how she thought about death. And the things that we were able to say to one another, because I said awkwardly, can I interview you about death, you know, which was a weird thing to say to a friend. Um, But I really feel like now, like we've said, we've said, I love you. We've said, you know, this is what you mean to me. It really created this opening for us to also savor the good stuff in our relationship. Yeah. So do you think difficult conversations are always a good thing, even even if at the time they don't necessarily, you know, they can be so uncomfortable. They can be so difficult. Like maybe you don't get an I love you at the end. Do you think it's still worth trying? I don't. uh, They're not always going to be lead you to somewhere positive. You know, I think that's really important. And, And you can be doing a hard conversation well and end up in disagreement. You know, like um, that's that can be true in family relationships. That can be true in a breakup conversation. You know, it can feel like, oh, we didn't solve this thing. But what you did was exchange information uh, about where each of you are coming from. Um, So you had more kind of uh, 
you knew more about where the breakdowns were, and then you can decide whether there's another way for that relationship to continue. Um, so, so I don't think it's always, I don't think it's always the right time to dig in and try to do this. I think figuring out and being, um, respectful of the, your conversation partner and where they are Mm -hmm. and whether they can, it's a good time for them, you know, creating the conditions for you each to both hopefully be able to listen as well as you possibly can, you know, um, that all takes kind of thinking through, um, but I do think it's eventually having them is better than not because then you're just not, you're just not acknowledging something that's there. If you feel the need to have the conversation, you need to figure out when and how. Mm-hmm. It seems like so much of what you're talking about is just the idea of like showing up with vulnerability. Yeah. Which obviously is so much more difficult for some people than others. Yeah. I'm I'm curious if you have found like while talking to other people, while asking others to show up with vulnerability, if you've noticed if there's like are there themes in terms of what makes that really difficult for people, you think? Well, I think of it less as like someone one person is able to show up with vulnerability and someone else isn't i think so much around what each of us is able to show up with vulnerability around is specific to where we are in that moment in relation mm-hmm. to that thing you know mm-hmm. and so i think that um nadia boltz weber this lutheran lutheran minister talks about how yes. it's how she wants to how it's easier or, or often it's more helpful to hear people talk from scars than wounds when they're kind of telling stories of vulnerability and and scars meaning it's kind of there's some there's been enough time to have a little bit of healing you know mm-hmm. um, to reflect rather than a dripping oozing wound where really what you need is just like care and somebody sitting next to you and eating popcorn while you watch Netflix you know what I mean Vaseline and Q-tips <laughs> exactly. and yeah yeah. That's so interesting because that's one that I've been thinking about a lot, like, you know, on my own, especially therapy journey around vulnerability and asking for help can be a really tricky one for me just because I'm a really independent person. Mm -hmm. And even something I've been noticing lately is that it's so much easier for me to to talk about having a hard week when I'm on the other end of the hard week. It's so much harder when you're in it on Tuesday night or whatever to like send the text to the friend that's like, hey, you know what? I'm having a really tough time right now. Yeah. Yeah, because you want to demonstrate that you have mastery over a hard week. You have that gotten I got through over it. it. <laughs> yes. <laughs> yeah, and I do think, I mean, something that I have experimented with and found to be really interesting is like when you just signal a little bit, like put when I push myself when I'm having a catch-up phone call with a friend instead of just being, oh, how are you, how are you, blah, 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 blah. how's your family, mm-hmm. da, 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 to just say like, oh, man, that you know, one thing that's been really hard for me is, you know, something about my two-year-old. There can be a lot of hard things having to do with two-year-olds, <laughs> you know, or like, gosh, you know, parenting right now. Just one, some little sentence that just signals mm-hmm. all is not fine. And then yeah. when you model that, what you hear back, you know, and it makes me feel like now that's a person that I can call the next time I'm like, ugh, you know, you have those go-to yeah. people. And, and I... I like knowing that maybe I'm creating a, a 
slightly larger community of those people. So it's not just my husband who has to digest it all. (laughs) (laughs) One trick that... I don't even know how we got there. Well, I guess I kind of do. I was just really crabby one day and a friend texted me and it was sort of like a just a it felt to me like a very exhaustive list of things that were frustrating her that day, Mm -hmm. which, you know, is entirely reasonable. But I just wasn't up for it. Mm -hmm. And I I was just like, hey, you know what I would really appreciate is if you just ask me how I was doing before diving into this stuff. Oh, yeah. And and it was so amazing. It, and it, well, and at the time, I felt like I was being kind of bitchy about it, you know, because it was just like, listen, here's what I need from you right now. But it has turned out and she was just like, oh, yep. OK, totally. I can do that. And, you know, we're we text pretty much every day. But it's just so helpful for both of us, I think, to get a level set on where each of us are before being like, OK, can I complain about something really quickly for a second? You mm-hmm. know, like, mm-hmm. do you have that bandwidth? How how are things in your world at this moment? And I'm just like so grateful that we had that conversation, even though I feel like it came out of me being like, ah, <laughs> I think that that is such a really useful trick that I am trying to use more and more in my life. It's like the pre conversation little like you know kind of like let's let's figure out the terms of how we're exchanging you know just yeah. just saying like is is now actually a good time to talk can you talk now mm-hmm. or um you know what i think of is that uh you've probably seen it that movie that was like midlife ladies on a wine trip with um Amy Poehler oh God, and Tina Fey and uh, Rachel Dratch. Wine Country. The movie's called <laughs> yes. Wine Country. But the, the really fun, I'm like, oh, this must be like something everybody learns in midlife. Um, Rachel Dratch plays a therapist in that movie. And she does this hilarious thing where when she's trying to be like helpful by making an observation, she always says, can I offer some feedback? If I just may offer a little bit of feedback. <laughs> I just- I have started saying that. <laughs> and it's so funny because it's so such therapy talk. But it's also like, mm, I'm going to signal here that I'm going to say something that's like not an I statement that I'm like saying something <laughs> about you. you know? Are you up for this? <laughs> have you tried that with the two year old? <laughs> no, it doesn't work. It does not work with children. It doesn't really even work with spouses, but I'm trying it. <laughs> Oh, can I offer some feedback? I love it. Anna Sale, thank you so much. This was just such a pleasure to talk with you. Thanks for doing this with me. After the break, we're going to hear from a chemistry nerd and YouTuber about the amazing science of everyday life. Nerdette is supported by the Sympathizer podcast from HBO. Join host Philip Nguyen in conversation with the cast, crew, and author Viet Thanh Nguyen as they discuss the making of this historic HBO original limited series. Stream new episodes of HBO's The Sympathizer Sundays exclusively on Max, and listen to The Sympathizer podcast wherever you listen to podcasts. Our next guest has devoted her career into making everyone know how exciting chemistry is. Her name is Mai T. Nguyen Kim, and she's a chemist, science journalist, and YouTuber in Germany, which mostly means she spends time talking about how great chemistry is in German, like this. Was soll das? Die Antwort der Hersteller lautet, Aktivkohle ist antibakteriell, entgiftend, macht weiße Zähne und vieles mehr. Let's go. 
Luckily for us English speakers, her book Chemistry for Breakfast was recently translated into English. Maya, welcome to Nerdette. Thank you for having me. I'm super excited to have you. So your book kind of goes through a day in the life. Can you give us an example of how chemistry pops up in a random person's everyday life? Yes, of course. So the book is about, yes, it's about a day in my life. And I just wanted to show that science and especially chemistry um, is is everywhere. Um, when the first... Um, light hits your eyeballs, um, then your first coffee, um, standing in the kitchen cooking. So one of my favorite examples is um, whatever, wherever you are listening to this, you're sitting, let's say you're sitting in a room, and I'm sure in this room around you there are different things that um, feel like different temperatures. Let's say there's a wooden table. The wood feels warm, mm. but when you um, feel a metal spoon. The spoon feels cold. Um, mm. Yeah, this is an everyday observation. But now, what if I tell you everything in this room has actually the same temperature? It's room temperature. So why does the wood feel warm? And why does the metal spoon feel cold? So what you're feeling there, it's nothing but your own warmth. It's your own body temperature, because obviously you're the only thing in this room that's not <laughs> room temperature. Um <laughs> It's your own body temperature, and the difference is the wood cannot transport the warmth of the body away from you as quickly as the metal does. Wow. And this transportation of warmth, it's all molecules bumping into each other. And this is where, this is my favorite example to, to get into this, this view, into this world of chemistry. I always, I always say chemistry is, is like a key to an invisible world. I love that. You know, that reminds me of something that I weirdly find myself thinking about a lot when I'm doing the dishes. Yes. <laughs> which is how much more easily you can rinse off something that's sugary than something that's oily. Oh, yeah, yeah. Because sugars are so much more water soluble than fats. Exactly. Yeah. And even everyday things like soap, um, how magical soap actually is that if you zoom in into the molecules, um, the surfactants, that there are these um, molecules that are both both hydrophilic, which means they they get along with water well, and hydrophobic on the other end, so they get along with oil well. So hmm. they grab onto the oil with their one end and they um, kind of pull it away because they can um, hold onto the water and oil gets washed off. This is why you need dish soap and all these these things that are. Uh, yeah, you don't even think about it when you wash the dishes. And uh, I really think uh, people are missing out. It's <laughs> so cool. It seems like so much of your work is kind of dedicated to like fixing the reputation of chemistry. Yes. <laughs> you know, the ideas that like, well, it's boring. Science is boring. And especially chemistry. Especially chemistry. Why do you think that is with chemistry? I think um, there's this misconception that chemistry is, is synthetic and therefore... Um, toxic and anything that's mm. natural is good and 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 mild and that's that doesn't make any sense from a from a chemical point of view because of course nature is is the best chemist there is. It's <laughs> so beautiful. So, my, why do you think it's important for people to know about chemistry aside from just I don't know, like I maybe this is it is just a better understanding of the world. Yes, it's to me it's two things. So the first thing is that I just find chemistry just very cool and I'm kind of convinced that um 
that a lot of a lot more people, or most people, would be naturally interested in science if they only knew. You know, that's one thing. And the second thing is, loving science to me is also almost an attitude. In my book, I talk about a scientific spirit. That means being open to new experiences, being skeptical, being critical, and also not. Always、um, looking for the shortest, the easiest answer, but、um, falling in love with complexity. And I think this is something that we could use in in society in general. I totally agree. I think the book is great, and congratulations on your English debut. I <laughs> thank you so much. All right, that's it for today. I have two announcements for you. Announcement: the first, we have an event coming up on June eighth. It is the Nerdette Virtual Book Society. We're going to get some book recs from an independent bookseller, and we're going to have genre-specific breakout rooms where you can give recommendations, get recommendations, and meet some other Nerdette listeners. I am super excited for it. I hope you will sign up to attend. Go to wbez.org/events for information about that. Announcement: The second, we are recording our book club panel chat soon. This month's pick is White Ivy. It's by Susie Yang. If you're reading along, even if you haven't finished, we would love to know what you think. Just record yourself on your phone and then email the file to nerdatpodcast at gmail dot com. We would love to include you in the discussion. The episode was produced by me and Isabel Carter. Our executive producer is Brendan Banazak. We will see you next week. Nerdette is supported by the Sympathizer podcast from HBO. Join host Philip Nguyen in conversation with the cast, crew, and author Viet Thanh Nguyen as they discuss the making of this historic HBO original limited series. Stream new episodes of HBO's The Sympathizer Sundays exclusively on Max, and listen to the Sympathizer podcast wherever you listen to podcasts.